all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. What do an iPad, the Department of Homeland Security, and heated seats in a BMW all have in common? Motherboard staff writer Joseph Cox has written about all of them in the past few weeks. That's right, we're doing it, a potpourri of JC. Today, we're going to look through several of his recent stories. First, how exactly does how exactly does the Department of Homeland Security track phones across the country? Then, we'll get to the bottom of the viral story about BMW selling subscriptions to heated seats and what hackers might have to say about it. Finally, we will, one more time, talk about JC's new iPad situation and tease, and uh, and figure out exactly why he's afraid of smartphones. JC, how are you doing? All good, all good. Thanks for having me back again. Thank you for coming back on. Um, all right, so first... Let's talk about the Department of Homeland Security, everyone's uh, favorite uh, government agency. Um, you had a chance to look at some important documents recently. What are they? What do they say? Where do they come from? Sure. So, I mean, for years at this point, we've been covering um, the location data industry, you know, and that can include law enforcement and intelligence agencies and private companies' use of this industry. These documents provide some new, really granular insight into how specifically uh, parts of DHS um, have been using this location data. And and we focused on uh, Homeland Security Investigations, which is part of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, in our piece. DHS has so many acronyms, it's it's absolutely insane. But the documents themselves, they came from the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. They obtained it through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, which is when, you know, you send a FOIA request to a government agency, they don't play ball for whatever reason, and then you sue them. And then a judge says yes, and you get your documents eventually. This is something that the ACLU is obviously very good at, and they understand how to extract documents this way. So that's what they managed to do. As for the content of the documents a lot of of what we focused on is emails especially internally at hsi or between different parts of dhs Uh, there's also spreadsheets which relate to location data lookups and that sort of thing and there's the occasional product brochure um, thrown in there uh, as well all right so the reporting that you you looked at really focused on these two companies uh is it vintel is that how you say it and uh, yes, Ventel, and you're going to ask me what the how to pronounce the next one, and I actually don't know. So well, it's we'll, just locate. We'll X, have a guess, right? Oh yes, well, locate X. So let, let me explain. There's yes, there are two companies here, Ventel, and then the second company is Babel or Babel Street, depending how you want to say it, and they make their product called Locate X. Um, so these two products, basically, you log in into an interface, you give in a username and password, and you're able to go and look up uh, location data that's been harvested from phones. You know, and before we go any further, I should probably clarify what is going on here. Um, as I said, we've been covering this for years and years and years, so sometimes you have to remember that people don't necessarily... Um, uh, not a necessary tunnel vision, as at least I am, when it comes to this sort of thing. So the the way the data actually is obtained is that, you know, 
people, ordinary people, install ordinary apps on their smartphones. Maybe it's a weather app. Maybe it's a game. Maybe it's a torch, something like that. These weird apps will collect location data and, you know, maybe they'll sell it or they'll transfer it to various data brokers. These data brokers may then sell it to another company until eventually it could end up in the hands of one of these companies, such as Ventel or, or Babel Street, which repackage it into a product specifically for law enforcement, government and intelligence agencies. So this data has actually come from, you know, the advertising industry. It's come from marketing data and it is being flipped and leveraged for law enforcement purposes. That is the supply chain of this data and how it ends up with these government uh, contractors, which, yes, as you say, these documents primarily focus on them. There's a couple of other companies mentioned in there, but like basically in passing. So it's, you really kind of don't, if you've got a smartphone, there's not really a good way to control your threat model here, right? Your your location data is probably getting tossed into the slurry, uh, unless you're extremely good about looking through every piece of information of every app that you've got on your phone, there's not really a good way to get out of being kind of tossed in the barrel here and maybe getting your data looked at by DHS, ICE, CBP. I mean, there's basically very little way to be properly informed about it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's not like before you vote, you go and look up the issues or whatever on each of the candidates. You Because... You can barely do that with these apps, right? You know, Apple does have these new disclosures and Google, for its credit, as well as Apple, in some cases, have gone and acted against sketchy apps, of course. You know, that's a constant um, process. But when it comes to, do I really know if that weather app is sending my data somewhere? I mean, yeah, sure, you can read the privacy policy, but I just don't rely on that anymore, considering how many apps we've taken apart and intercepted traffic from. That's what we end up doing is like when... Years ago, uh, at this point, we found that um, uh, some uh, a Muslim prayer app was sending data to a location data company that had uh, clients that were U.S. military contractors. That's because you know I sat down and did technical analysis, and most people don't have the the time to do that because they just need to get on with their day. You know what I mean? So, do we know? And this is may- this is maybe a question you don't know the answer to, but I'm going to ask it. Do we know if there's like are subpoenas or warrants being issued to get this data, or is it are they just kind of giving it over? So there's actually some pretty interesting stuff in the um, in the documents about that. I mean, generally the issue that privacy experts and some lawmakers, such as Senator Ron Wyden, the issue that they have with these companies like Ventel and, and Babel Street is that law enforcement are using them in a way to basically circumvent the Fourth Amendment. You know, ever since we had the Supreme Court ruling of Carpenter, the precedent is that you need to get a warrant to look up phone location data uh, because it's so sensitive, etc. You know, there is a debate about whether that specific ruling would apply to marketing location data from phones because Carpenter was specifically about, you know, um, other, other sorts of information. But assuming it does apply... And assuming that you should get a warrant for location data from a phone in in some form, arguably, you should get a a warrant for this. And that is not what's happening. You know, I believe we've reported that um, Customs and Border Protection admitted they were doing without a warrant. And I think um, maybe the IRS has said something similar. What is new and is in the documents and is pretty interesting is that 
in one of the HSI documents, it says that when we look up locations, there's no identifying information or personal information about the phone. Now, that might be disingenuous because, you know, location is very sensitive, but it's not like your name is coming up. You know what I mean? It's not saying like, oh, Joseph Cox was here. What may come up is some sort of identifier. Um, And what they say in the documents is that to get more information, HSI or whoever would need to send a subpoena to the location data provider, in this case, Ventel or Babel Street. So they do have other information, potentially, which they may be able to provide in response to a subpoena, but that is a little bit muddy. But I did find that very interesting, just very in the weeds when it comes to it, but it hinted at, well, look, maybe they can unmask people if you send them a nice letter. Uh, uh, Glitter Squirrel, again, has a question that we may not have an answer to, but I think it's a good one. Um, and will lead us into the next topic uh, quite nicely, I think. On my iPhone, when I select Ask App Not to Track, does the app have to obey that request? The fact that I select Ask versus Tell or Not to Allow makes me curious. Do you have any idea? I'm pretty sure it does enforce that. Like, it's a little bit different. Well, I I think it's quite different to, you know, the thing that you have in web browsers where it's like, they would put a little, a little almost asterisk in, like, hey, please don't track me. And some websites were like, nah, I'm good. Like, I'm still going to do it. Um, with Apple, it is much, it's a much more rigid system to the point where, you know, Facebook is complaining that it's losing ad revenue because of changes implemented by Apple. So to answer that question, I couldn't go into super granular detail about it, but it is more rigid, yes. Yeah, they've been marketing themselves, especially lately, obviously, uh, as the privacy smartphone, right? Uh, right. The one that's yes, more exactly. concerned about that. So, mm-hmm. uh, which does well. You know, I, I do have one more question. Uh, I thought I knew I knew you were going to do that. I thought that was I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, but we'll hear we'll hear the question. No, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go <laughs> back first before we get into the the thing that that you love talking about. Um, yeah, sure. How is this? different than like a cut co- when a cop is investigating a murder say and they're they have a location they see a phone a landline and they call the company and say hey we need ingoing outgoing calls from this address how is this different this like mass kind of location data grabbing would you say or am i am i making a comparison that's not fair no no i think it's fa- i think it's fine to compare them but you be comparing for the sake of, well, what legal mechanisms are in place to protect this location data and that sort of thing. So I would say that they are tools that can serve different purposes. But as we saw in some of the documents, they are being used to investigate the same sorts of crimes. And that's why you would probably compare them, right? So I'm pretty sure murder did come up, or at least a shooting of a Border Patrol agent was mentioned. In they said, well, you know, this agent got shot. We want to see what phones were around there, and maybe we could go track them. And of course, this is pretty similar to the so-called reverse location data warrants that law enforcement agencies get from Google. You know, uh, there will be an, uh, a firebombing, an arson, or maybe a robbery or a shooting. They're doing it for all sorts of crimes now. They will go to Google and they say, we want to know every single phone that you know or Google account that you know that was outside this gas station at 7.02 p.m. on this date or something like that for 10 minutes. And then they get that information and they'll be like, well, okay, well, there was this phone. Then we look into that and send more legal requests. It is somewhat similar to that, but I would say probably not quite as powerful 
as a reverse location data warrant from Google. But the plus side is you don't need a warrant. You just log in and because you've bought this technology, you know what I mean? And the reason I say it's not as powerful is because, and this is mentioned in the documents, there are some limitations, you know. The person may not have the crappy weather app or the Candy Crush clone installed on their phone. You know, it really, really depends, which is why I think we've seen, um, at least when the Wall Street Journal reported it in 2020, sort of for the first time, I think they... they that was when they first mentioned uh, Ventel. That was how it was being used for immigration enforcement, as in, uh, I think it was Customs and Border Protection would go and see, hey, there are groups of phones at this point crossing the border. Let's go there. And then they find tunnels or something like that. These HSI documents are different because it's not about immigration. It is about um, you know more specific uh, crimes, like, a, like I mentioned, the shooting and that sort of thing. So it did just show us that this is being used not really as a one-off tool, but I would say as a pretty wide-reaching strategy across DHS, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, another person in chat had a question. I think you just answered it. Does this stuff interface with Custom and Border Patrol's crossing travel record database? Uh, and it sounds like yes, is the answer. Um, yeah, I'd have to double-check that in because the documents do talk about a larger over overarching system that could take all of this data. Um, so it's a little bit fuzzy on that. But what I would say is that while Babel Street's Locatex product is very much, you log in, you do your thing, whatever, and some agencies like that, some agencies don't, Ventel, on the other hand, will offer basically the raw data as well in some form or even access to an api i think so there's a lot more room for integration to other systems potentially but we still don't know the you know the exact contours of that all right so the segue isn't as clean now but I was gonna, you, you can't you can't you can't get back on the segue like this, I how it just- <laughs> i'm sorry but it, i mean i had to there was good questions no, that's i fair. had to follow up on yes, but of course. you know given all this given all the praise that that you and some people in chat are giving Apple and about their, their privacy uh, stuff. Like, why don't you trust them? Why don't you just have an iPhone? Why are you the only person in America with not, without a smartphone? I'm pretty sure someone replied to me also saying they used an iPod or something. And us, yeah, you know, there's a handful of us at this point, but yeah, of course what you're referring to is a piece uh, I briefly wrote which is uh, about how Apple has finally killed the iPod, which I've used for a very long time, simply because it does not connect to phone networks. It does not have a baseband, so we can't do that. Um, And for various reasons, um, SIM jacking, SS7, um, and just how crappy telcos are, with handling user data, as we've reported constantly, from selling of location data to being hacked to everything else that comes with that, I've opted out of using a a phone network for a while now. And with the Apple iPod uh, now being dead and soon to not receive security updates anymore, I think, you know, September or whenever they release iOS 16, I have bought a iPad mini, which is here, currently running... Diablo Immortal, so you can have a go at me for that again, I guess, because I think it's a good video game. Um, but yeah, that's what the piece was about, and it's a massive pain in the ass. 
right, we're gonna we're gonna pause here for a break very briefly. If you're watching on the Twitch channel, uh, we will be back immediately. If you're listening to the podcast, please stick around. Uh, we're gonna make fun of JC just just a little bit more, and I promise this will be the last time we talk about this uh, about using an iPad for everything instead of a smartphone. We'll be back after these messages. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, welcome back, cyber listeners. This is Matthew. I'm on, with, I'm on with Joseph Cox. We are talking about the DHS. We are talking about uh, why his genes look like this. Uh, you can't <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast. You can't see this. Uh, he he uses an <sighs> iPad. I'm just going to hover on this, and he's managed to stick it all the way into a pair of jeans. I. I I don't have yeah. I don't have a pair of jeans with pockets that big. That's incredible no, that you were able to do this. This is a standard pair standard pair of Levi's that I bought somewhat recently and told all my friends about last time we had a big motherboard gathering. That is a normal pair of jeans. It's it's not custom iPad jeans or anything like that. Okay. But it looks stupid, yes. Okay, so what are the other what are the other drawbacks and what like what are you doing to yourself? to avoid using a smartphone? Like, what are the other problems and issues with this iPad? Uh, well, issues with the iPad. No, 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 okay, I'll say issues with the phones first, yeah. And look, it is really just about the telcos, basically, and how that data can end up in lots of different uh, lots of different places and lots of different ways. Uh, and just whenever I'm about to get close to, maybe it's time to get a phone again, something will happen and we'll report something else. I mean, one of the main cases which they stopped because we reported it was, you know, uh, telcos, um, at least in in the States, but, you know, elsewhere as well, we saw indications of they were selling it to third parties and that ended up with bounty hunters to the point where we were able to track um, a colleague's phone for like $300, something like that. That got stopped. Um, and then, you know, we've had phone calls from companies who run SS, SS7 surveillance firms, which are spy firms, which t- tap into the phone uh, global roaming network backbone, and they use that to track your location. You know, I've had phone calls from people who run those companies being mad when we cover them. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I do just want to clarify something. Like, it's not, oh, whoa, look at me. I'm such a targeted individual, because it's actually not. Like, I'm not talking about... NSO or azimuth security or, or, or like I'm not talking about endpoint hacking, you know. Um, although of course you if you take other protections as you can, but I'm talking really just about the phone networks, and I don't really want anything to do with them uh, at the moment. And that might change because it's just getting more and more difficult. And of course there is a slight bent to it in that it's an interesting experiment. As well, it's sort of an experiment that took on a life of its own, and I'm happy to throw in the towel when it gets too annoying. But um, 
I don't know. It, it's a pain in the ass, my friends, but I'm all right being annoying for a little bit longer. You know, how is we'll, it, we'll, we'll see, how, see how it goes. How is it a pain in your ass? How is it a pain in the ass to your friends? Oh, I mean, they can only ever contact me if I'm, if I'm on Wi-Fi. And friends will get used to, uh, if I say, let's meet at this particular time. Well, they better be there at that particular time, because otherwise, I don't know, I'm going to be just waiting, which is which is fine, obviously. I, I'm, I'm being facetious, but yeah, it's, it just can be hard to get a little bit hold of me. But, you know, most cities in Europe or, or, or in, in tons of places now have Wi-Fi freely available. It's really not like what it used to be, you know? That sounds kind of... As someone who lived most of my teenage years without a smartphone. In fact, I don't think I got this is wow. This is horrifying memory. I didn't get a smartphone until I was working at, I was a manager at a banana Republic. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was bullied by the other managers because I had a flip phone and they were like, you're making us all look, you're making the company look bad because you Mm -hmm. don't have a, you don't have an iPhone. Um, and that was when I finally broke down and got one, but it sounds kind of nice actually. I know that we, we, we have that stupid nostalgia for a past that didn't actually really exist, but it sounds a little pleasant to be out of pocket sometimes, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and sometimes I just leave it also at my, uh, at my home, you know? So then, because I'll still get notifications if I walk past Wi-Fi hotspots I've used before, right? It will automatically connect and I'll get a flurry of messages. Sometimes you don't even want that, you know? All right, so... Question from chat about this, and uh, I know it's one that we had talked a little bit uh, off the air. Uh, what about phone with SIM out, right. cell data off, plus Wi-Fi via hotspot or a burner phone? Um, well, I mean, first of all, I don't really think a burner phone would work because if you're thinking burner in, in the real sense, a proper burner is something that you you know you never turn on at your. Uh, place of residence you never turn off at home uh, turn it on at home you never really turn it on unless you absolutely need to do so uh depending on what exactly you're trying to do so i wouldn't be doing that because that's just too strict and almost too extreme and i think people often misunderstand what a burner actually is and it's not just a second phone that's that's not what it is it's something that you very deliberately separate from your identity and that's not what i'm after i'm after something i can use every day from my home or elsewhere, but uh, it's not linked to a phone network. Now, you know, plenty of people will say, well, why don't you just use a phone without a SIM card? And that is something I considered uh, and do still consider. You know, if, if this iPad thing just gets too much, too impractical, that is probably the compromise I will do. It's not a compromise I really want to do, uh, but it may be one I have to make. And that's because it still contains a baseband. And the way that... Um, phones and phone networks uh, function is that the SIM card is almost like the second factor in, in a piece of 2FA. And under law, you know, in, in various countries, a phone still has to be able to connect to the phone networks, even if there isn't a SIM card in it. That's how it's able to make emergency calls um, when there isn't a SIM card in there. You know, you can still do that. It will say emergency calls only or something like that. That's because it's actually still on the network because there is still a baseband in there. Now, would it be a lot, a lot harder for you to be tracked, or rather, would it be a lot harder for you to be identified if you were using a phone without a SIM as opposed to a phone with a SIM? Yeah, sure. Like they wouldn't necessarily 
uh, be able to go to T-Mobile or whoever and be like, here is the uh, the IMSI or whatever or the phone number and something like that. But that's not to say it is entirely devoid from the network. You know, somebody could, uh, there could be a, a legal request for your phone and they could take that and then they could potentially go to different carriers maybe and be like, well, have you seen this touch your network at some point? And that is getting into the point of uh, it being rarely targeted. Um, but, you know, it's still something to consider. And, and something that we have discussed, uh, we haven't... And, and to be honest, the reason I didn't mention any of this in the article about the baseband is because we may talk about it in another piece at a later date, but something I've been meaning to do for a long while is take an iPhone and remove the baseband. You know, as in physically remove that piece of hardware. So I'm basically making it into an iPod. I'm removing the antenna, essentially. And we've spoken about that, and we'll get around to it. But <laughs> I haven't got time for that right now. Uh, but but that's the reason. Well, hypothetically, you would still you would still get the security updates up to a certain point, right? Right. It would still be running iOS. It would still have. Uh, I I think it would still have Wi-Fi and stuff because I don't think it would. You know, the the, the Wi-Fi yeah. chip is something else. Right. Yeah, presumably, right. it's not I, attached to the baseband. That's interesting. Right, and it's something I have to verify. I haven't looked into it too much because it would just be a lot of work. On yeah. a, I'm not very good on my hands, you know. But that's something we're well, I'm considering as well because I think that'd be an interesting experiment. Like, can you even do that, you know? And well, I, you can from my cursory search of YouTube, uh, but whether I can do it is something else. Yeah, and it strikes me um, the other part of this story that I, the other aspect of the story I think is very interesting is something that's also affected me recently, which is that. Uh, sometimes the reason you have to stop using a device is not because the device is finally broken and you can't repair it or it doesn't work. It's because it's insecure. It's because the company Mm -hmm. that supports it with software stops updating that software. Um, I have a, a pixel Chromebook from 2015 that I love and I stopped using it during the pandemic because I kind of basically ceased traveling for a little while. The battery died. And I started recently like watching the videos and getting geared up and like was sourcing a battery to replace it. And then I found out that they stopped doing security updates for it. So now I have to, I, I don't want to not use, this is my favorite laptop I've ever used. Um, and I don't want to stop using it, but um the only like bizarre idea I've had is to try to use like a, a custom version of Chrome OS on like flashing with Linux and doing something like that. But at that point it just sounds yeah. that's like pulling the baseband out of a, the software version of pulling the baseband out of a phone. Like I, it's right. It becomes a lot of work. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure someone would, would say you could just put Debian or Ubuntu or something on it, or as you say, some, something like Chrome OS and more update. I'm kind of surprised that that is a mainline Google laptop and they're not providing updates for it. I don't know. That's, that's kind of a shame. Yeah. It, it sucks. I mean, it's from 2015, but it just, yeah, it stinks. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, but all right, so let's move on, uh, to the last story that we've got here. So there was a viral story, I think last week that was going around about, Heated seats, these car seats in BMW. Um, I thought that this was a very interesting story for a couple of different reasons. First, that I saw a lot of like really scary headlines about uh, you know BMW turning all of their cars into subscription ser- services. You dig a little bit deeper. This is one of those things where um, it's a little, it still sucks, but it's a little more, more nuanced than the way it was being portrayed in a lot of the stories I saw. Like it's only in the South Korean market right now. Uh, the specifically the heated seat thing they were talking about. And it's a, a, 
and you can either get the sub service or you can just not get it at all, or you can pay like a bulk rate up front. It's slightly less sleazy than what, than the way it was portrayed. But uh, you and Aaron Gordon, who we've also had on the show many times before, took a really different uh, 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 looked at a very different aspect of the story that I thought was really fascinating and very motherboard. Uh, tell me about the people who hack cars. Yeah, as you said, I did this with Aaron. It was great to work with him on this. Obviously, he knows a lot more about cars than I do, you know. Uh, and I mean, this story came about when I think Jason Kepler, our editor in chief, probably just Googled BMW hacking or something and just pasted a bunch of forum links and companies into a Slack chat as like, hey, people are hacking BMWs. Um, I think we're both okay. And then that's clearly an article. Uh, yeah, the people who do this hacking, they call themselves coders. You know, it's kind of a, a slang or colloquial term. And what they do is they will either physically go to your BMW, you know, you'll hire them or something. If you live in Vancouver, I think one is, and maybe San Francisco is another one. And they'll come and they will use a cable from their laptop, uh, I think Ethernet, to the sort of the diagnostic system uh, on, on the car. And they'll go in and they can turn on features and that sort of thing. Or they can do the same, but remotely, you know, in other countries and that sort of thing. And what these coders will do is, well, a really dizzying list of stuff you know um so in the uk your car the cars there don't typically beep their horn when they're locked you know but you could switch that on if if you wanted to be a, a, a massive jerk in in the uk and and do that you can change stuff with your lights all of this other sort of stuff and the reason we're talking about it of course is that the people we spoke to, or at least some of the people we spoke to at these firms, they said they would be prepared to do something similar around bypassing this heated seat heated seat subscription service. There's a lot of sibilance there. The uh, another thought part of this that I thought was really fascinating is that it's kind of being advertised on place in places like eBay and Etsy, and I I just thought like this feels like a very gray market thing it surprised me there was that out in the open uh does bm do bmws and other manufacturers do they just not care right now or is it still too new do we have any idea what's going on so bmw didn't get back to us so they didn't they they didn't tell us specifically oh this voids warranty or we've taken legal action or something like that but Yes, it is certainly a grey market to the point where we don't name some people in the story because they requested anonymity. Because um, I'm not sure if they specifically said this, because I think I think Aaron spoke to that person in particular. But you know, maybe there's legal issues, or there, there is some sort of reason. Clearly, they don't want to necessarily be going all out there. Others do and don't seem to see the issue when it comes to the ebay and etsy stuff we didn't go super into that but there's also amazon as well where you can just go buy these cables for 25 dollars, and then if you don't want to hire one of these coding companies even though it seems they're probably cheaper you know than going to bmw uh you can follow some tutorials yourself from forums and you can download executables or whatever format is necessary and you can do this coding um yourself as well so there is a hobbyist element to it we focused just because i think i found it more interesting on the people selling it you know when you bring in money i think that just makes it a bit more interesting all right so 18 dollars a month uh subscribe for a year it's 180 dollars. three years it's 300 or unlimited access it's 415 dollars 
what would it cost to hire a coder to take care of this for me? And that's the heated seats you're talking about. Right. Uh, They never gave us a particular price because they haven't sort of started on that yet, right? Because as you say, it's just in the South Korean market. So it was more them saying they're prepared to do it. But that being said, they... Some of these coding firms have targeted subscription services before. So a little while ago, I think it was in 2019, uh, BMW started charging for the CarPlay operating system that comes bundled with it. Like You had to pay extra uh, as a subscription, I think, to turn that on, whereas other car manufacturers would just provide it for free as, as part of the product itself. And... You could either pay a monthly subscription to BMW, or we found one coder who would give you a so-called lifetime activation for like 55 bucks or $60 or something like that. So clearly they're, they're doing it at a rate that's going to be a lot cheaper, theoretically, than a rolling subscription, at least if you're going to be having you know, this product for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years. Like That would already probably work out to be cheaper. And it's not just, and I think BMW has been putting this kind of stuff behind paywalls everywhere but the U.S. since about 2020, uh, if I recall correctly, which I think is interesting. And like, there's another podcast, there's like a whole other tangent we could do about car culture in various countries and what people view as standard and what they're willing to pay for. But stick that, put that aside. It's not just these luxury items that they're talking about going in and altering, right? There's like state and local regulations that they're looking at bypassing and some of the electric vehicles and things like that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, Aaron will be better for this, but I'll give it a shot. So when I was going through one of the coding firms, I found a very interesting blog post from one of them, which specifically around a BMW vehicle called, I think, the IREX. I hope I got that right. But basically what it is, it is a hybrid vehicle in that it has a gas-powered engine, but then also you know a battery. Uh, as well. And in the European market, you can turn on, I think, the gas-powered uh, engine, which is called the range extender. You can turn that on when the battery is at 75% charge. So you can turn it on pretty early, basically. You'd be like, oh, well, I, I just want to turn this engine on because I want to go further. In the US market, you can only turn that range extender gas engine on when the battery is a lot lower. So you have to almost like drain the battery first before you switch to the gas one. Now, and that is to be in line with, um, with Cal- I think it was California regulations about what a hybrid car is or something like that. Um, what the coders here will do is basically change your American vehicle into the European one with a code update. So you can turn on that engine a lot earlier. And... Look, we were a little bit unclear about the exact legal ramifications of that, of whether, you know, the coder would be held responsible or really was there actually any enforcement mechanism or whatever. But sort of putting that aside, I still think it is wild that these coders are offering a service that explicitly bypasses some sort of regulation. You know, I don't know if anybody's going to go to prison for it or anything like that, but the fact that they're offering to do that in the first place, uh, I think is interesting. Yeah, it also strikes me that we're at the beginning of what is going to end up being like a protracted war between hackers slash coders and like car companies that's going to look, I think, pretty similar to like digital piracy, where, you know, hackers figure out how to get TV shows, video games, music, all that stuff for free, industry fights back, and then it's just back and forth forever. 
essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, th- some of that cat and mouse game did come up in that apparently some of the updates that coders may push can get re- uh, reversed or they, they or reverted um, by BMW. And that means that you may pay a coder and then maybe the update's gone and maybe you need to get it back or something. But it shows even if BMW isn't coming out all, you know, arms swinging, there's clearly some friction there, you know. All right, Joseph Cox, we have got to go. Sadly, sadly, our time has ended. If you like the show, please follow us on Twitch and you can watch them live as uh, whenever they go up, we record twice a week. Um, this happened last episode too. Somebody in chat asked a really great question as I'm leaving the outro. Uh, this is again, Mon, you may not know the answer to, but are coders being asked to remove location tracking in vehicles? We didn't see that, but that okay. would be very interesting. Yeah, we didn't see it. It'd be very interesting, and we'll be watching for it. It was a good question. If you like the show, again, please follow us on Twitch. You'll be up, you'll be uh, notified whenever we go live. We record twice a week. Uh, if you like, you know, thank you for being here. We love all of you. You make uh, all, all these chat questions make the show much more fun to do. And we will see you again next week with more horrifying stories from the internet. Goodbye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.